scripture reading tonight is uh, Genesis 19 for our Old Testament text. Genesis 19, it's page 16 in the church Bible. This is God's word. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against it, people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let, my, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overflow this, overthrow the city of which you've spoken. Escape there quickly for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when, he, when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name ben He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. And our New Testament reading is 2 Peter 3, 1-13. through Second Peter 3, 1 through 13. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's ask his blessing on it now. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us to take your word to heart. Lord, by ourselves we can gain no 
uh, no, no good from it. Our hearts will only grow yet more hard in unbelief. So we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd come, break our pride, make us humble, make us ready to listen, trust, and obey our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see him here and all the glories uh, of his salvation for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. What is our biggest problem? You went down to sleepers, perhaps, took a poll of people going in and out of the store. What, what do you think the answers would, would be? What, what's our biggest problem? Inflation, maybe? Um, the economy and the way it's going? The crisis at the border? Um, big tech? Drug addiction? Uh, we, we could list out all kinds of the disintegration of the family, uh, rejection of biblical morality. Uh, we have a lot of problems. Um, we, could, we could make a long list. Um, important matters and, and serious problems that we should give consideration to. But there's one problem that every man and all mankind face that, uh, that is the biggest of them all, that, that dwarfs all the others. Uh, it's the problem of who we are in light of who God is. Our biggest problem, as Jonathan Edwards put it, is that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, Jonathan Edwards, 18th century pastor, says this in his famous sermon. He says, The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Thus, all you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin and, and before altogether unexperienced light and life are in the hands of an angry God. It's a vivid picture. Edwards, we might say, well, he's a man of his time. That's the way they preached then. He was exaggerating. He had an overheated conscience. Um, and, and this is just hyperbole. Um, 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 is that right? Jonathan, uh, uh, listen to the words of John the Baptist, Matthew 3. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's the message of the Bible, isn't it? Repent or perish. God's wrath is real. And God's wrath is serious. And God's wrath is coming. And, and, and every sinner who does not repent of their sin will face God's wrath. And it's a horrific thing to consider. God in His holiness, in His righteousness, in His justice, has a day appointed where He'll judge the wicked. All hell is literally going to break loose one day. And those who are not in Christ will perish. It is what the Bible teaches. One of the places we see this illustrated most powerfully is, uh, is right here in Genesis 19. This truth of the awful reality of the wrath of God against our sin. Um, here, here in Genesis 19, we have this final judgment of God momentarily bursting forth into history for a second. Uh, you can picture a dam holding back water. Right? It's a massive reservoir. And, and, and the waters keep rising 
and rising and rising. That's the wrath of God. He's storing up wrath for the day of judgment, and it's rising and it's rising. And every so often in history, there have been a few instances where he's opened the sluice and let a little bit out the flood. Joshua's conquest of the promised land. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And, 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 it's, a, and it's a warning that one day the whole dam is going to burst open and it's all going to flood out. Um, the point? Don't hesitate. Don't, don't wait for that day. Don't linger. Don't look back. Uh, 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 flee. Flee the wrath of God and run to Him for refuge. That's the point of Genesis 19. The story picks up uh, with these two angels. Um, we saw them in Genesis 18. Uh, three men come to Abraham there in Genesis 18. Uh, he meets them outside his tent. One of them is a theophany of God himself, a visible appearing of, of God himself, come to meet with him. Um, uh, the other two are these angels. Abraham uh, uh, shows them hospitality. And then they go on from Abraham and these two angels. The Lord stays with Abraham. The two angels go on to Sodom uh, to inspect the city. Uh, to see if the wickedness is as great as they have heard that it is. The sun is setting. It's getting dark. Clearly, I think, a, a picture of the darkness, the sinful darkness of the city of Sodom. As the angels come, they see Lot sitting in the gate, or, or he, he sees them. Notice, notice the parallels here between chapter 18 and 19. At the beginning of chapter 18, the angels come to Abraham sitting at the door of his tent. He sees them, he jumps up and rushes to greet them and, and offer them hospitality. And, and here's, Lot, uh, here, here's Lot doing something similar. He's sitting in the gate of the city. He jumps up to, to, to meet them. He goes to greet them and offer them hospitality. We're going to see a few of these similarities uh, uh, to, between Lot and Abraham. Uh, but, the, but then they're going to diverge. And uh, their, their, their uh, conduct is going to be strikingly different. We're going to see Lot's failure in contrast with, with Abraham's success through, throughout the chapter here. What do we make of the fact that Lot is sitting in the city gate? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? City gates were where, um, in the ancient world, where, where the important business of the city was done, where, where the leaders of the city were, uh, the, the guys who made the decisions uh, would be in the city gate. And, and, and uh, here Lot is in the city gate. We don't know. The text doesn't tell if he's, if he's just the last one there uh, before, the, before nightfall, uh, if he's lingering behind for some reason, or if there are others there. But, uh, but there he is in the, in the gate of the city of Sodom. What does this tell us? Well, for one thing, it means that in some way he's assimilated to the culture of Sodom. He, he, he's, he's gotten comfortable enough that he, can, that he can participate in their civic life. And perhaps, perhaps he's trying to change things for the better. Um, we'll, we'll see some, some traces of this uh, in, in chapter 19 here. Um, uh, but, but in other ways, we see that he's, he's becoming more comfortable with life in Sodom. Um, but we see two things, two good signs with Lot here as, as the chapter starts. The first good sign we see about Lot is the hospitality that he shows to these two men, these two angels who come, uh, who come to the gate of Sodom. Um, he invites them to come for dinner. Offers them a home for the night, offers them uh, a chance to refresh themselves, and then leave early the next morning. It seems like he's being a good host, and that it seems like he understands what's going to happen if they don't take up his offer. Um, he knows what's going to happen. Perhaps he's seen it happen before to other visitors. He knows what will happen if they stay out in the streets of this town. 
Um, and he knows they need to leave early in the morning if they're going to get out safely. But, but he, he, he wants them to come and, uh, and, and stay with him. And he's showing them hospitality, and that's an important sign um, of his righteousness. Yes, Lot is in many ways assimilating into the culture around him, but he is still in his, in his heart uh, 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 trusting in the Lord in some sense. There's a vestige of faith there as he invites them into his home, and he's going to be uh, willing to protect them even at the cost of great danger to himself and his family. That's one good sign. Lot's hospitality. A second good sign is his, is his uh, commitment to a godly morality, sort of. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> because these men come into his house. He feeds them dinner. He, he, he gives them a refreshment and a place to lie down. But before they can lie down, a mob surrounds the house and uh, demands that those two men, you, you hand them over. Um, they, want to, they, they want to do something atrocious. They, they want to do something perverted and awful. Um, uh, 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 they, they, want, they want to rape these men. Um, all the men of the city come out. It's, it's a horrific scene. All, all the men of the city, old, young, every man in the whole city gathers here around Lot's house. Uh, they've taken God's good gift of sexuality which is given to show intimate, personal union between one man and one woman, and they've perverted it. They've turned it into something that is uh, twisted beyond recognition into something awful and horrible as something that's an act of rebellion against God, a violent and abusive act. Uh, but, but we see a good sign, right? Lot, Lot is not going to just let them do this. He shuts the door. He, he goes out on the, on the, on the step there, and, and he talks to them. He says, don't act so wickedly. It's a good sign. That he's saying, what you are doing is wicked. He's willing to call their sin, sin. That can be hard to do in a culture that celebrates this kind of thing. Can't it? We understand that that can be hard to do. To be in a culture that celebrates perversion and homosexuality and to say that is sinful. God's word is clear. Um, The Bible uh, is unequivocal here. Homosexuality is sinful. The act, the desire, sinful. Um, Now, this doesn't mean we should treat those who struggle against homosexuality uh, with with cruelty or unkindness. Um, But they need to hear their sin is sin. And they also need to hear of the grace of God in Christ for that. Um, if that's something you've struggled with, you need to hear that it's sinful, but of the grace of God in Christ for you. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11, He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we all need. But back to Lot. He's got a few things right so far. Um, but then things start to go, go, go downhill. Um, we start to see that... Uh, 
Yes, he is a vestige of faith, but so much of he, he, he has become complicit in sin, um, and uh, uh, he's become worldly-minded in so many ways. Um, verse eight, picking up at verse eight, um, the, uh, the the crowd there uh, they they refuse his uh, they 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 don't like what he has to say about their wickedness. Um, um, so so Lot has to find some kind of solution. He's in a bind. Um, he, he has a he has a moral responsibility to protect these men in his house. He's taken them into his into his own home, and he has a job to protect them. And especially in the ancient world, that that was that was that was an important obligation. You couldn't just shrug it off. Um, so important that that for Lot, he makes the decision here. Well, it'd be better for me to give my daughters to these to this mob and have them. Uh, molested and, and killed uh, that, than to give these men over that I've taken in my home to protect. Um, um, so this is, this is his offer. Um, what are you thinking, Lot? I mean, yes, you can't, just, you can't just open the door, send these guys out and say, sorry, I can't help you. Um, but you can't just hand your daughters over either. I mean, isn't that just as wicked and evil for him to do? He's supposed to protect them. But where is his prayer? Where does he turn to the Lord? It's not here. Why, why doesn't he cry out to God? Why doesn't he ask the Lord to intervene? Lot doesn't think that way. He, he's, he's become so entrenched in worldly-mindedness, looking at things through the eyes of the flesh, not the eyes of faith, that he doesn't, it seems, even think to pray. He's just trying to fix the situation by himself. He's trying to rely on himself. He's trying to fix it himself. And the best he can come up with is giving his daughters over to be raped and killed. The mob will not have it. They rush at him to kill him. Door swings open. The angels reach out, grab Lot, pull him in, shut the door, strike the mob blind uh, so they can't break the door down, revealing their supernatural power. Um, and, then, and, then, and then the whole story really amps up. Uh, the narrative really, really... It's already been urgent and dramatic, but now it just picks up all the more. Um, the angels, uh, th- 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 their tone shifts, and it becomes very, very uh, much an emergency situation here, not because of the mob at the door, but because of the wrath of God that's about to fall in this city. Um, the, the angels tell Lot he's out of time. They, they tell him to get everyone out of his house, uh, get everyone in his family, anyone who will come with him, uh, uh, even his sons-in-law and any others, uh, to, to warn them judgment is about to fall and that uh, if they repent and go with Lot, uh, they, will, they will escape. But Lot goes to his sons-in-law and they think he's joking. Um, uh, uh, one commentator says that Lot has no moral persuasion here. Uh, the, his sons-in-law laugh, laugh and disbelieve. God, God's about to destroy the city? Yeah, we, we've heard that one before, right? They, they make a joke of the wrath of God. Um, uh, um, and I get the sense as, as, we, as I read this that uh, they, they almost see Lot himself as a bit of a joke. He's just not the kind of guy you take seriously. He, he's, he's made compromises. He's, he's never preached righteousness before. Never, never, you know, not, not, not to them like this. Uh, um, he, he's been a pragmatist. He's made accommodation to the world. Doesn't give him a more powerful witness. It strips him of that witness. Um, and they do not see any credibility in him. And they laugh off the wrath of God. And then, then something... Um, but Lot himself, I think, is... Uh, then, then he shows his own reluctance here. It, all night, the whole night passes... It's not until the morning then that uh, that that the angels uh, have to have to 
urge him to get out of the city again. Um, um, he hasn't left yet. And verse 15 tells us he lingered. Um, reluctance, lingering, waiting, no, no urgency, uh, no, no, no hurry to obey. Um, there's a great warning for us here. We live in a culture that I think does make a joke out of the wrath of God. Um, just like Lot's sons-in-law. And it's easy for us to get pulled into that same way of thinking and laugh at the... Uh, treat, treat it as something that's not a real thing. Not something we really need to be concerned about. Not something that affects our day-to-day lives as Christians. Um, and, and, and we can be tempted to back off the urgency of the fact that the wrath of God is coming because it's just kind of embarrassing. And people will laugh. But as we read in Second Peter 3, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And then Peter, Peter goes on. He, he says, yeah, there will be people who will laugh, but they're, they're forgetting that, that the God who made everything has the power to destroy it. That, that the God who, who sent the flood has the power to do it again, and, and, and he will uh, one day do it again. Uh, the, Peter is saying, the flood should strike fear into us. Holy, reverent fear and a sense of urgency. Sodom and Gomorrah should strike reverent fear into us. That the day of judgment will come. But, Jonathan, uh, but, 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 but Lot's sons do not listen to him. Lot himself lingers and is reluctant. We should not, uh, we should not uh, live without a sense of urgency about the wrath of God. Stay. We, we should not say, you know, I'm not going to worry about that till later. That, that can wait. Um, God says, no, this very night your soul may be required of you. Um, don't laugh at it. Don't linger. Every time we hear the word of God preached, Christ himself is calling us, isn't he? Calling us to himself. There's a, there's a sense in which he's, he's calling us uh, in, in each sermon. Each time we read the scriptures, he's calling us to flee the wrath to come, uh, to, to take him at his word, trust his grace, and run to him for refuge. Uh, one, write, one, one writer puts it like this. He says, How often has Jesus Christ in like manner laid hold upon you in the preaching of the gospel, and you will not flee for refuge to him? Will you rather be consumed than to endeavor and escape? The merciful Lord Jesus, by his admirable patience and bounty, has convinced you how loath he is to leave or lose you. To this day, his arms are stretched forth to gather you. Will you not be gathered? Don't linger. Run to the Lord Jesus. Run to him for refuge. But Lot... His wife, uh, excuse me, his wife and his daughters, uh, they, they linger. And, and it's only when, um, when the angels seize hold of him and drag him out that he's saved. We get this wonderful line in verse 16. Um, uh, the men seized him and his wife and two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and, and set him outside of the city. It's a wonderful picture of God's grace, isn't it? The, the persistence of God's grace. The stubbornness of God's grace for, for sinners who linger. Uh, for those of us with just a vestige of faith, but are lingering and struggling. Um, uh, when we have indecisive hearts and we're acting foolishly and not uh, with a sense of urgency under the word of God. Uh, God comes by his grace and he lays hold of us. And he, and, he, and, he, and he pulls us out. He's, he lays hold of us by his, by his almighty power. And uh, he is decisive. He is wise. And he brings us out of the city that is under the wrath of God. He, he says, you are mine. And I will not let you.
perish in my wrath. The angels get Lot and his wife and his daughters out of the city. Um, uh, uh, they, they direct him to run to the hills. Lot sees this uh, other city, this little city of Zoar, and um, he'd rather go there. He's still attached to, to living in a city. Uh, he can't imagine life without, without that. Uh, they, they grant him his request. He goes there. They urge him to hurry. They tell him not to look back. Um, but, but, but one of them does. Tragically, Lot's wife turns and looks back and, uh, and, is, and, is, and is judged instantaneously. Uh, dies in that in that moment that she looked back. Why why was why was she looking back? Um, was it just you know the way we look at a car accident on the highway? Um, you just your eyes are just drawn to it. Um, uh, I don't think so. Um, she's not just drawn to the spectacle of judgment that's happening behind them um, as the wrath of God falls from heaven on Sodom. I think she's looking back because her heart loves Sodom, loves the people there. Uh, loves her home there. Um, she felt that that's where she belonged. And, and she'd rather live there in that city of sin than, than, than to flee from, uh, flee from it and, and be forced to leave. So there's, no, there's not repentance in her heart. She's, she's not running to the Lord for refuge. She, she's there with, with Lot, her husband. Um, um, part of the visible church, we might say, but not, not really wholeheartedly running to God. And as she looks back, that look reveals where her heart really is it's easy for us to perhaps to say, well, we've 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 come to Christ, right? We attend church. We're part of the visible church. Um, uh, we've put our faith in Him. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God. Um, I'm all set, right? But Lot's wife is a warning to us. Our Lord Jesus Himself applies this warning to us in in Luke 17. He says, "Remember Lot's wife. Do not love the world or the things in the world." Be in it, but don't be of it. Don't have your heart and your loves and your mind shaped by the world. Lot barely, it seems, uh, didn't look back. But, but his wife does, and uh, she perishes in judgment. Uh, it's a tragic scene, um, isn't it? Uh, the whole valley destroyed, fire raining down from heaven. Lot's wife perishes. Um, but there's grace. It's a wonderful thing about the Word of God um, his grace shines brightly, doesn't it? Even in darkness like this. Uh, Lot's alive. He doesn't deserve to be, but he is. He's alive. The grace of God has rescued him. Um, despite his failure, his unbelief, his reluctance, his lingering, uh, surely it would have been just for God to punish him uh, and to let him go. Is that enough? But, but Lot's alive. God, by his grace, spares him and saves him. Why is he? Why, why is Lot spared? Is it his own righteousness? The narrator wants us to notice this. At this point in the story, he, he kind of sh- takes, takes the, the camera off Lot for a minute and, and suddenly cuts over to Abraham. We haven't seen Abraham since chapter 18. Uh, but here he is. We get this quick scene of Abraham. And he's standing and he's looking out over the valley. Uh, and he sees the, the smoke from the, the judgment of the wrath of God falling on the valley. The smoke is rising, it says, like, uh, like uh, smoke going up from a furnace. Why is he showing us Abraham here? Why does God want us to notice Abraham at this moment? Well, uh, verse 29, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God is telling us, here's why Lot was saved. Because I remembered Abraham. Um, 
Lot wasn't saved because of Lot. Lot was saved because of Abraham, God's friend, as we saw in chapter 18. Um, it was because Abraham stood before the Lord and pleaded on his nephew's behalf. Because the Lord loved Abraham and because Abraham uh, uh, was a sort of representative of Lot. That uh, Abraham's righteousness, as it were, covered Lot and rescued him from destruction. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing that points us forward to Christ, isn't it? Um, and we see that it isn't actually Abraham's righteousness that's covering Lot, is it? He's, he's, he's a little shadow pointing us forward to the righteousness of the greater Abraham who pleads on behalf of his elect, his undeserving, sinful, lingering, looking, uh, failing elect, um, the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and once again, as, we, as we're reading the story here, this is, where we, this is where we see ourselves. We're Lot. We're, we're, we're the uh, ones who waver in faith. We're the ones who linger when we shouldn't. Um, Will God's wrath really come? Uh, but God's grace comes to us. Somehow, by His sovereign grace, He saves us. Why? Because there is our Lord Jesus Christ standing and looking over and, and praying for us. Lord, save my brothers. Praying for us, pleading for us. For my sake, save my people. Um, this, this is why we're saved. Not because of our righteousness. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He took our place under the wrath of God so that we could be rescued from it. That would be a wonderful way to end this chapter, wouldn't it? Wonderful way to end the story. Um, the grace of God shining through. Righteousness of the, uh, 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 of the, the representative in the place of the sinner. Um, a call to us to run to Christ for grace. I wish we could end there. Um, but there's a little more in the chapter. Um, th- this is one of those reasons why, um, why we, we uh, preach Lectio Continua, uh, verse by verse, through, through, through a book of the Bible. That's, that's one of the re- this is one of the reasons why this is a good thing to do. It forces you to preach on passages you'd never choose to preach on, like the end here of Genesis 19. Uh, it forces us, doesn't it, to face up to how sick and sinful man is, um, how sick and sinful we are, um, and also how gracious God is. So let's, let's, uh, let's consider this last episode in, the, in this story. Uh, Lot's story isn't done. It's actually about to get a little darker. Um, uh, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't stay living in Zoar happily ever after. Um, he finds he can't actually live there. Perhaps he's, uh, he's, he's terrified of, of the wrath of God falling again. Um, so he goes to live in a cave in the hills taking his two daughters with him. And the burning question in my mind is, why doesn't he go to Abraham? Doesn't he know he'll be safe with Abraham? Just take your family there. Say, say that you messed up. You shouldn't have made that choice. You did back in, in Genesis 13, and, and you're sorry, and, and you want to make things right, and, and you're ready to, to uh, get along with him. Um, but he doesn't do that. He goes, perhaps still too stuck in that way of thinking of self-dependence and self-reliance instead of faith in the Lord. Um, so he takes his daughters, he goes into the hills, they live in a cave. It's a tragic ending for them, tragic scene. Reluctant Lot, family torn apart by the sinful love of the world, hiding in a cave, scared for his life. You can draw a direct line, though, from, from where he is now, all the way back to his choice in Genesis 13, 
where he and Abraham were looking out, and Abraham said, well, you take the portion you like, and, and I'll take whatever you don't. And, and Lot, in that moment, does not think in heavenly terms or with the eyes of faith. He just looks, yeah, I want this, because this is better, and I'm going to take the better part for myself. He chooses the good portion for himself. He's grasping at an earthly inheritance instead of waiting for the heavenly inheritance. And, uh, and, and that choice has led him here with nothing left, no possessions, no servants, no wife, no descendants. It shows us the, the end of the choice to live, uh, live, in this, uh, li- live like the world does, um, not trusting in the Lord, not living by faith. The, the story continues. The, the daughters get worried. Um, uh, they are uh, uh, they're getting frustrated. Um, they are uh, uh, looking around at the rest of the world and says that, uh, verse 31, there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Um, they, they think that God has given up on them. Uh, they don't even think about God here. Their, 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 their standard is what the rest of the world does. No faith on their part. Um, no alternative solutions come to mind. Um, they're still acting like Sodomites. You can take them out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of them. Uh, they've been rescued from the wrath of God. You'd think they'd be uh, living in, in reverent fear of him now, um, uh, crying out to him for grace, but, uh, but they're not. They both get pregnant, and then Lot's story ends um, in this in this uh, in this cave um, in, in the hills. Um, it's a tragic ending, and his descendants are going to go on to other tragic endings. Uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, the story tells us, are going to come from from this line. These are going to be some of Israel's worst enemies, longest, bitterest foes. Um, some, some, uh, at some point, they're actually going to lead Israel into spiritual adultery. Uh, and, and, uh, and they're going to be oppressing Israel over and over. So again, we ask, well, where, where, why is this here? Why is this in the Word of God? Where, where's the grace of God? Why does the story end in this dark situation like this? What does God do? What could God possibly do with a situation so sinful and so broken? Hundreds of years later, there's going to be a young woman by the name of Ruth, a Moabite, descended from Lot and his daughter. And this woman is going to lose her husband, but she's not going to despair. She's going to trust the Lord. She's going to run to him for refuge. She's going to marry a man named Boaz, and they're going to have a great-great-grandson, I mean, excuse me, a great-grandson named David, king of Israel. And uh, they're going to, uh, and then, of course, the line goes on all the way to Jesus Christ. The genealogy of Jesus Christ traces through a Moabite from this. Um, even a situation like this, we, we see in the, in the Scriptures that as dark and as sinful as it is, it's not beyond the reach of the grace of God. That still his grace can come in. And, and even people like this are not beyond the reach of his grace. It's another text. In Jeremiah 48, uh, there, there's, a, there's this prophecy that Jeremiah is giving, this, this oracle against uh, the Moabites, telling them how God's going to judge them for their sin. Um, but at the very end of that judgment passage, verse 47, it says this, Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days. It's a promise. 
even some of these descendants are going to be restored in the last days, brought to faith in Jesus Christ, become part of his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, this should not come to us as a, as a, as a surprise to us. This is, this is how God works. This is the gospel, that he comes into the pit of our sin and misery and all the mess we make of things, and he rescues us by his grace, that he takes those who deserve his wrath and he grants them mercy and life and blessing. And uh, he graciously, graciously gives this salvation to those who do not deserve it. And so all the more reason, isn't it? In light of his wrath and in light of his grace, to run to him for refuge, not to linger or look back, but to run to Jesus Christ who holds out his arms to us. Just come to me. Let's pray. Our Lord God, thank you for the grace you show us in your word, the promise of that grace. We pray, Lord, that we would not uh, be those who waver or look back, but those who run to Christ. And Lord, that you'd grant us refuge and that we would find rest there and that we would live in the light of that sweet rest. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.